And don't forget that compromise is the shared hypotenuse of the <laughs> of the. Oh shit! I can't remember now. You're now. spoiling. Stop. <laughs> you said it to me earlier. Hang on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's in my messages. Okay, we'll have to replace this. Uh, <laughs> in Canada, oh, yeah. it's thirteen ninety nine. Co- by the way, com- compromise is the shared hypotenuse of of the. Oh, come on, Mark. Get, <laughs> Hold get on, your I head gotta, in the I game. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's trying to sound like me. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 92 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And once again, I am joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. And down in San Jose, California, we have Mark Rubin. Hello. And our special cameo appearance by Greg Hio in San Francisco, question mark? Sunny San Francisco, indeed. Hello, everyone. Hey there. And time is off at Google I.O., which is in San Francisco, isn't it? Believes? Isn't it? Mm. Or isn't it down in Mountain View? Yeah. I think. Oh, is it? I think so. Oh. Off site somewhere. Hmm. I have to look I, it up I now. Thought they were, I always thought they were at the um, Moscone West. No, they've, the- they've got a different location now. They're actually outdoors somewhere. Really? No, is it true? I wouldn't lie about something so deadly serious, Tim. <laughs> a series yeah, of Google no, I.O. Yeah, well, I saw some jokes online about about the, the heat and uh, the, why not have a, an air-conditioned venue and that kind of stuff. But uh, It is at the Shoreline Amphitheater. Oh, okay. it's at Shoreline. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so Shoreline Amphitheater is a big outdoor concert venue that happens to be literally flush next to Google's campus, so you can walk there. Uh, from Google. Yeah, so they are in Mountain View. And it is a very hot yeah. day today, too. <laughs> Yeah, it is very hot here. Yeah. Yep. You know what it is, Aaron? It's like 80 degrees plus. That's what it is. That sounds like a high number, Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been trained, actually, by all the uh, the Fahrenheit freaks down mm. there in the States, in America, who, America, who love the idea of the Fahrenheit scale for temperatures because it goes from zero, which is, oh my God, so cold, to 100, which is, oh my God, so hot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can you can say a decade, if you will, of temperature and communicate effectively how how cold or hot it is. But you but know, it goes down that's cultural well relativism as far as I'm concerned. As well. Of course it can. Of course it can. I mean, I mean, if you get below right. zero, then you're talking crazy talk, right? But yeah, it's like it's like being up in Canada. It's that cold. Oh, <laughs> that cold. I mean, that hurts. What are you talking? We go from forty plus to forty minus. That's actually how I like to think of it. Is is minus forty to plus forty <laughs> in the Celsius scale? Yeah. Okay, but I, I don't know, want to get into that. I didn't know how it was here in town. I should go. Um, give yeah, a call. yeah, me too. Actually, Mountain View is very close to where I am. Yeah. He's sitting right between you two. Yeah. Yep. It's closer to where I work, but uh, I should uh, I should go text him or something. Are you calling us for the shuttle bus? <laughs> <laughs> I am safely ensconced at home. I see. So you what's, what's your schedule like down there? What's that? What's your schedule like down there? Sorry, what's your schedule like like down, the, down no, there? My schedule? Um, I get to work early, like 8. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if I leave on time, then I leave at like 4. Yeah. And uh, that's how it goes. Sometimes I stay a little bit later and uh, whatever. But so far, I've been uh, been an early bird. I've been doing the same thing here, actually, because I found that it can beat the TTC masses by heading it around, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. 
Yeah, definitely. When uh, when I was at my temp housing, uh, I would the shuttle would come by there at like seven thirty, I think, and I get to work oh. by like seven fifty. Mm. And I was like, okay. And I think the shuttle was every hour. And then one day I was like, oh, maybe I'll take the next shuttle. So I took the eight thirty shuttle. That's crazy, right? Yeah, we didn't get to work until like you know ten after nine or something. And then yeah. it was like so crowded. And I get breakfast at work, and so everything is so crowded there. And I was mm. like, yeah, I'm going back to the seven thirty shuttle. So I'm trying to do the same thing. Uh, you in training still? Like that six week period you were talking about? Are we still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm just just in the tail end of it, but yeah, I'm still in that. Do you know where you're going? Uh, probably, but uh, nothing official yet. So, Aaron, we're uh, 12 inch MacBook buddies now. You got one. I did. Not a boy. Yeah. You got one of the new ones, I guess. I did get one of the new ones, the Skylake ones. Yeah. You are blazingly faster than mine, then. No kidding. Oh, you like it? Uh, I think I'm still getting used to the keyboard, and I also have an ancient, like first generation unibody 15 inch macbook pro that's actually what i'm using now yes um and like that had like a super by comparison a super tall keyboard compared to the modern day unibodies which are a little shallower so i've got like super a very big contrast between them it's like the apple extended keyboard 2 versus the macbook one keyboard yeah. I, thought you, I yeah. thought you liked the big clacky mechanical keys. Yeah, I do have that too, so that makes things even more... I'm getting used to them. It's sometimes, I'm, at the beginning, it was hard to tell whether I was typing or not. Like, did I really press that key? So I think I mistyped my password Ooh, yeah. a couple of That's times. That's a thing. That's yeah. definitely a thing. You have yeah. to... Uh, I think I said this when I first got it a year ago, that you have to kind of treat the keyboard as if it were kind of like glass. You just have faith that when your finger hits it, it does it, because you, you can't really tell. Yeah. There's no ta- haptic feedback or anything like that? It's very slight, obviously. Yeah. So the, um, the key does press in. Okay, so one port. How are you, how are you dealing with one, one port? It's just as Aaron said. You, I plug it in to charge it. End you don't story. plug anything else into it. Yeah, there's nothing to plug into it. Have I ever plugged anything into it? Well, no, I haven't. So Is this I your guess? primary work computer? No, no. This, this is, is personal. my personal... May turn into my personal primary. I do still have another bigger MacBook Pro. Good Lord, how many computers but, do you have? I know, I know, a lot. But You're out uh, of control, Greg. Somebody's got to stop you. <laughs> I need an intervention for sure. But um, I don't know. So far, this I think I could just live with the MacBook and just do everything on there. Because uh, I don't know how much personal large app coding I'm going to be doing anyway. So I think I could live with it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that, that was a hint. I like it. Because, uh, you know, we hear so often from Facebook that, like, if Xcode cannot handle their scale, then certainly a MacBook can't handle their scale. Have you, no you know comment. No yes. comment. <laughs> yes. If I were you, I wouldn't have a comment either. <laughs> You're using I, uh, face code, Aaron. Come on, face code. Face code. I That's just right. listened to... I finished last week's episode today, but I think I already listened to the first half of it earlier. And I appreciated when somebody was talking about Git versus Mercurial. Was that last episode? Yep. Yeah, face up. And yeah. somebody said, I think they use Mercurial over there. And then Jaime put in a nice disclaimer like, yeah, I've heard that too. And he's like, oh, wait, I haven't heard that from Greg. Not from Greg, but I've heard that from other people. <laughs> so I appreciated that. Yes. Nobody wants to get you in trouble. <laughs> well, actually, I wouldn't mind. Um, so what are you working on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Fine. Don't answer. Yes. He's going to be working as a barista in Starbucks if you keep this up. Okay. Because no one will hire him as a developer. Oh, I don't think that's going to happen. I had to turn off every single internet-connected device in here because my Wi-Fi, my internet is horrible. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But you're in San Francisco. Uh, and then the internet, well, I'm not paying for a super plan either, but still, mm-hmm. it's still pretty bad. Do you have Comcast? AT&T. They do oh, residential yeah. service? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. They call it, um, 
they have some name for it. You know, like Rogers is like Ignite U-verse. or whatever. Is it Uverse? Oh wow, how do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I, but I it's just GSL, don't right? Want knowledge. Sorry? It's cable, Mark. Oh, it's cable. Yeah. 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 So I was kind of I was thinking about this the other day. What did Bell become in the U.S.? What when they got broken yeah. up? Well, they split up yeah. into many, many different. They call them the baby bells. There's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of different companies. Verizon mm-hmm. is the descendant of one. Yep. Uh, AT&T is the descendant of another. Okay, right. Uh, PacBell, you know, they're, they're all... They're is all PacBell still pieces. around? I'm not even sure. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think um, 9X is still around in New York, that area, and they're the only surviving... Um, isn't that right? Or it was like Northeastern Bell, and they renamed to 9X, but they never got bought by anybody, or they never mm. consolidated like the other two did. But um, yeah, I think Verizon is the biggest piece. They were the South uh, Southeastern Bell or something like that. But that yeah, makes sense. you yeah, don't hear yeah. the word Bell anymore here, though. I don't think. No, I was, I was curious about that because I know like Ma Bell was a thing down there at one point, right? So interesting. When and AT and T, Cantel and AT and T kind of joined forces and then got. I think they got assumed by Rogers, right? Mm. Yeah. So. So that's how Rogers Wireless came into being. Anywho, Aaron, you were starting to tell us about the MTJC hashtag. Sure. Uh, I put a call out for anybody who had questions about an hour before we started recording tonight. I got a couple Mm -hmm. of answers. So uh, let's take them one at a time, and we can kind of go around the table. Uh, Wait a minute. This goes ahead of FU? Do we have FU? Well, yeah, we do have FU. Oh, well, I don't know. Last week, Armie did the MTJC before FU, didn't he? I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jaime knows. He's the only one that has control over this, this part of the show. True that. No, this, I'm just this a, show I'm is just all Bedlam now. Yeah, so <laughs> let's just know. do the, the uh, Ask MTJC while we're here. And by but, the way, we have t-shirts. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah, and you better order them or there won't be t-shirts. <laughs> no, actually, I found out how to, how to, how to make it auto-roll, so it'll just keep going forward and into the future. Into the future. I yeah. don't even know what that means. Time keeps on slipping, slipping. Okay, no, 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 no music. Okay, um, Okay. so, you know, you can edit this. If you want it to appear later, then you can do that through the magic of editing, as you do. It doesn't do. matter. Yeah. Um, okay, so, the first question that we got tonight comes from friend of the show, Justin Stanley, a long-time listener. And his question is, what's the last Epic Booker article that you've read that helped you immensely in your iOS development? And uh, I can start with an answer on that one. I've uh, put the link in the show notes. I talked about this book before. Uh, it is Protocol-Oriented Programming with Swift. Mm-hmm. Bought this book a month or two ago and uh, got a lot out of it. I went through it and I was noticing that you know one of the big things about moving to Swift is trying to grok with that what we've been calling idiomatic Swift, whatever that means. And sure. um, in the days and months that uh, we've been working in Swift, uh, it's become clear that idiomatic Swift is a protocol-flavored Swift. And uh, this book, it really lays out exactly how all of it fits together. It's not its not just a clever video from WWDC of 2015. It is, you know, practical examples. It is, um, you know, realistic, real-world advice. And it was beautifully timed, too, because the app that I'm working on with Disney, um, I am exceptionally fortunate to be working with two extremely gifted developers who who grokked the protocol-oriented stuff very quickly and mm-hmm. adopted it in this app that we're working on. And so I've had very practical examples to work from, and seeing the theory, as well as the examples in this book, reflected in the app that I've been working on every day was enormously instructive. Um, so I guess the only thing I can say is, uh, I'm, you know, you know, for everyone who's not me, which is everyone, (laughs) 
um, <laughs> you know, take my uh, take my word for it that uh, the stuff that you read in this book is is actually for reals, and you can implement this stuff, and you can be a product protocol oriented developer in Swift, and that's why I think that this book has been extremely meaningful for me. So, hey, Aaron, who's it by? I can answer that question. I can totally answer that question. John Hoffman. Oh, yes. I remember we talked about We him. did talk about him. And I, I think when we first talked about it, you were like a, maybe a chapter in or half yeah, well, a chapter in. I'd received it that day. So, yeah, yeah consider this my full report. Um, okay. It, it, it turned out to be just as good as, as it had started. So, carry on. It's a very good book. So, how about you, Greg? What uh, book or resource... That was a question, right? Yeah. Greg? Hmm. I don't know. I was just browsing through my... As soon as Aaron asked the question, I started browsing through my Instapaper queue to see what I had, had queued up. And I don't, know if the, I don't really have anything iOS-specific, because that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, it is specific. But, you know, yeah. you can carry a question on. Go wherever you like. True. I have started reading, finally, um, Advanced Swift from the uh, Obsi.io guys. Yep, yep. And uh, I don't know, I've heard some mixed reviews about it, but I've really enjoyed how it lays out a lot of examples. And it follow- for a book, it's a little strange to me. Because um, I've seen some of Chris Idoff's talks, and I know that, and he wrote, I think, some of these chapters. And I feel like it's like a transcript of one of his talks. I'm like, if he were giving this talk, then I can imagine this doing really well, me understanding it. But as a book, it doesn't work as well for me. But I really like how they um, have some code and they say, okay, now what's a better Swift way to do it? Or how can we take advantage of more Swift features? So that book has really helped me out to, um, like what Aaron was saying, get a better sense of how to kind of Swiftify your code a little bit from the older way of doing things. Um, so there's that. And I've also gone back, gone back to a classic, uh, Effective Objective-C 2.0 from Matt Galloway, which was That's a good, yeah. yeah it's um what is it 52 specific ways to improve your iOS uh, dot 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 but I remember there was a number in there so it's kind of 52 little tips about Objective C and the runtime and that kind of thing and I just kind of skimmed over that again a few days ago because I'm doing a lot of Objective C these days and uh, the book is oh you know, really indeed indeed the book is from 2013 says Amazon and other places so it's not the newest book but a lot of the stuff um, you know the Objective C runtime is still the Objective C runtime so I found a lot of rediscovered a lot of really cool tips from there. Do you so have, I guess uh, I have an interesting mix. Yeah, I will uh, paste one in there. Okay. And you said uh, Matt Galloway? Matt yes. Galloway, yeah. He's a uh, raywenderlich.com. No, not the CBC. He's, he's also the host report. of the morning yes. show on No, CBC, not yeah. him. It's another That's Matt Galloway. That's what I got confused yes. with, you know. <laughs> yes, he is Matt J. Galloway, I think, on Twitter. Uh, he's a he's another developer at Facebook, and he's also a raywenderlich.com Ding yeah. team member. Yeah. But I think he's he wrote a, the book, Yeah, like I said, it was back from 2013. All right. Yeah, and I think he, he must have written that before, or, or I don't think he was involved with Ray at that point, but he's also the one of the key authors on the, a lot of the Swift books that we have on com as well. Yeah, he's really good with the beginner. Like, for an advanced guy, he's really good at explaining things to beginners, so he's done a lot of the beginner sessions, like at RWDevCon and such. Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, so I'll paste that in. I'll also put in the link to the uh, advanced Swift book. Mark, anything from you? Yeah, I'm going through my list here, too. It's been a while since I've actually found a, a really good book um so maybe i'll just give a shout out to some of the ones that i used way in the past that were really good uh the core data book by mark azara is really really nice uh there's uh oh, there's that functional swift book by the objective c.io guys which is good uh, i'll just i'll leave it at those two for now until i find something else 
And well, for me, it's it's funny because I because I was doing a lot of teaching last year, so I was always reading all kinds of different books. But uh, to be honest with you, one of the most insightful books that I got a lot out of was was actually a book that I was editing, thanks to Greg, um, and that was the Swift Apprentice at RayWonderlick.com. And I still, you know, when I want to prepare to go and actually talk about things and make sure I got all my my stuff straight and my know my generics for my you know collections, um, I'll skim through the that book really quickly. Um, I. Of course, I've made it into a set of slides so that I can use them in teaching. But to be honest with you, one of the uh, series of books that I've always sort of fallen back on and, and uh, is the uh, books from Big Nerd Ranch. The um, objective, if you want to learn Objective C, uh, the Objective C book by them is really good, and it leads well into their iOS programming book. Um, and they they kind of break things down in a different way. I mean, you know, the the Wonderlic crew has one way of explaining things, and this is a different one. Um, so between those books, uh, I pretty much those are the sort of the the, the central center points or the foundations of where I where I come out of in terms of what I look for in in coding and you know, practice. So, but I also I, I also have a pocket account and uh, like you guys have your Instapaper thing, I have a pocket account and I stuff things that I find in there all the time. Um, you know, tag them with the intention of going back and finding them again and things like that. So there's, you know, when when the algorithm stuff started coming out, you know, I found some links and I would stick them in my pocket and uh, the pocket account. And uh, that's what I do. Cool. It's also the uh, NS Hipster book by Matt Thompson. Which oh, right. A little, little bit out of date, I think, but uh, but there's still some good, uh, good nuggets in there. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that book? It's called NS Hipster, Obscure Topics in Cocoa and Objective-C. So we got another question uh, from Troy Hanna, another friend of the show. What's your strategy to get past mental blocks or to deal with those hard-to-solve programming problems? And uh, this is a well-timed question, actually, because I was able to resolve a problem that I had today. I was kind of stuck on a uh, my personal project, my electronics project, and I was really uh, against the wall. I couldn't figure out how to proceed. And I gave it time, because time is the number one um, solution for any kind of technology issue that you're having, walk away. Walk away and don't deal with it. Um, let it lay, maybe fester a little bit in the back of your mind. Uh, you'll think about it while you're doing dishes. You'll yep. um, you know, sit down and look out the window for a while. Um, as long as you're not on the hook for actually technically, tactically solving the problem right then and there, you can at least you know, give your mind the chance to work it in the background. And I find coming back to it then and sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to take another crack at this. And that clarity that you've achieved by giving it a rest often, almost always helps out. So that's the number one strategy for me. Yeah, I totally agree. That's it's a, a lot of times it's just to walk away from the keyboard. Even if you just go downstairs for a coffee, like in our in our building, we do that. You know, we could go for a walk and just talk about other stuff with with another developer or somebody else in the in the office. It's kind of handy. Um, but one of the other things that, that I've sort of learned through my coaching stuff was that um, you sort of have to give yourself time to focus on tasks at times. So like you have to tune out all the sort of uh, noise that we usually deal with. So so no twitters, no emails. Just turn it all off and just. Focus on the task at hand if you if you've got the brainwave for it. Otherwise, like I said, go for that walk mm-hmm. or have a shower or you know I code in bed. Like I'm, I'm wake up in the morning with I well, see, literally I, I wake up in the morning having solved problems. Going oh yeah 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 and you know, all night long I've been you know thrashing about and trying to figure this thing out. So yeah, some, I have some really dream, weird dreams about Objective C. You know, not being able to stuff things into arrays and it's 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 
it's quite comical when I think about it. Yeah, I'd give a third thumbs up to the kind of step away from the problem. But sometimes you can't step away from the problem. And I've got two other things I would suggest. One is the sort of, um, some people have called like the bear or the rubber duck thing where you just talk out your problem to somebody. So you go to somebody's yep. office and you explain the entire question to them. And by the end of your explanation, you're like, oh, I realize what it is. So I think the story is some guy had like a stuffed bear in his office and he said, you have to explain your problem to the bear first and then you can ask me. And then whatever, 90% of the people would explain it to the stuffed bear and then they would leave because they figured it out. So one thing to help you get unstuck, I would say, is to just explain the problem to somebody or an inanimate object and that will often help um, unstick things in your head. And then the other thing I would suggest is, um, I've forgotten it now. Not that one. Oh, trying to break it down into kind of a smaller thing. A lot of times if you're, say, submitting a bug report or an issue to like an open source project, they'll say, um, we're having trouble replicating the bug. Can you make like, can you show us some code? And you paste in your giant view controller. And they're like, can you make like the smallest possible project that demonstrates the bug and submit that? I think Apple radars are often similar. So sometimes I find that if I'm working through a problem, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to make a separate app or a playground if you're in Swift. And I'm just going to have a little bit of code to focus on and solve the problem kind of at a smaller scale. And then oftentimes I'll find that I've figured something out and I apply it sort of back to the main project and I've kind of worked it out that way. So those are my little tips for working through um, programming problems. And the problem with going last is that uh, all the good ones have been taken. So, But I will agree with everything everyone said, uh, especially second, the one that Greg just mentioned that I was going to say is explaining it to someone. Uh, that always works for me by the time I've – not always, but usually by the time I've explained it, it's you know the answer is, is right there because it's – really what it's doing is if, you're, if you have to explain it to someone who – has no idea what you're working on, so you have to really start from the fundamentals and 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 the really basic premises of what you're doing. If you break the problem down into that and force yourself to re-examine why are you doing things on a very very basic level, often you see where the problem is because uh, a lot of times it is something just very simple that that you assumed at the beginning and and uh, and turned out to be a, a false assumption. Yeah, totally. I, sometimes I'll start writing something in Slack when I ask a Slack group a question, and by the time I've written the answer, written the question, I figured out the answer, and I just delete it and start over. <laughs> hey, more than just code listeners, are you ready for indie dev stock? This September 16th and 17th in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center, some of the brightest minds will be attending Indie DevStock. Join us for two days and learn from the industry's best designers, developers, and entrepreneurs. Professionals like Greg Heo, Ellen Shapiro, Janie Clayton, Simon Allardyce, and many more. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and insights with you. They'll discuss the challenges indies face and, more importantly, how to overcome them. But you don't have to be an indie to attend. Indie Dev Stock is made for everyone, whether you're just starting out or have been an indie for years. Indie Dev Stock is about making connections and sharing new ideas. While you're there, explore Nashville and Music City, the place where music is inspired, written, recorded, and performed. For more details and to register for Indie Dev Stock, visit IndieDevStock.com. We hope to see you there. Right. So what's next, Jaime? <laughs> Jaime's not here, but maybe Aaron will answer for him. 
Sorry, Tim. I'm not Jaime. Um, okay. Okay. So that uh, I think that covers it for this week. Let's do follow up. Sure. You got perfect getting funded. Yeah, I know. I heard about that uh, just last night from Gene. Oh, did you? Okay. At our taco meeting, he was mentioning that Perfect was a funded organization. Um, is there any particular... Oh, is that uh, what this article is, huh? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's from your favorite reporting system, too, the Business Insider as well. Yeah, they're not my favorite site. Holy crap. There's a picture of Perfectly Soft CEO Sean Stevens. Yes. The hair. Yeah, he's. I think the, the name of his company is Tree Frog. I wonder why the hair... Uh, it is tree frog. It says perfectly soft, so I don't no, know. No, I know, but originally it was tree soft. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah. So, um, apparently, well, what Gene was saying to me last night is that perfect, the these perfect guys, uh, as we refer to them, <laughs> they mm-hmm. are, uh, they're very few. They're not a lot of them. They're just a few guys, but they are extremely active, at least in Toronto. They're at all the development events, um, or they appear to be at least, at many of them, uh, evangelizing perfect as uh, as a back end. It just appeared from the signs that we were seeing that Perfect was acting as if they were a funded company, um, you know, because there's they don't have a business model as far as we can detect. They just seem to have a lot of money to spend, and that is a signal that it's VC funds, right? So what do we have here in this Business Insider article? Well, they did say it was focusing on, on uh, enterprise computing, which was kind of interesting. Uh, yes. So, so maybe that the the product they're going to try to make their money off of is is not so much the 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 perfect library that they've been releasing to the public for individual users, but they're going to try to do an enterprise play based on that. Yes, it's but we point, don't know. It's one point two million Canadian that they've received from an investment firm. So there you go. That's that's a fair amount of coin for say a few few guys in a shop building this software. Has anyone tried Perfect? I think this has been discussed before, but I've forgotten yeah, the answer. Been. No, what do you mean by tried? I downloaded it, and I started going through some of the code, and that's about it. So Okay. You did an HTTP local host and got Hello World printed out? That's about as far as I got, yes. Okay. Yep. But it okay. worked. But it worked. All right. Tim, you got an FU on Swift 3.0? I do. Um, it came out a couple of weeks ago that Swift 3.0 was on the horizon, so I just wanted to hear what anybody had to say about it, especially Greg. Well, I added a link underneath it to a post that came out on the mailing list from Chris Latner talking about how now stretch goal, apparently stretch goal of ABI stability is not going to make it for Swift 3, unfortunately. Not in um, the cards. Yep, yep. But they had a whole... The, the pace of changes and proposals... To the um, to Swift to or guys to Swift even to Swift two point two and Swift three over the last few months has just been incredible. So I can understand that they've once they opened up to the community for suggestions, a whole lot of suggestions came in, and they said, "All right, we've got this stuff to work on." So this whole um, ABI stability compatibility thing, we're going to have to punt that to next year. So that was too bad. But um, I don't think there's anything specific in the. Uh, in the post that you linked, Tim, other than Apple providing a roadmap about we are going to cut the branch on this day, it will probably be about four to six weeks, and then we'll release it, and then we'll do this, and we'll do that. So it was nice to get a some uh, you know software-related roadmap from Apple. I think that must be some kind of milestone. One thing I don't understand is the what, <laughs> and I know this. Uh, I hope this doesn't sound too idiotic, but uh, what is an ABI? 
an application binary interface. But mm-hmm. what does it mean? What does that mean? I don't understand what it means. Think of it like an API. Like if I said, yeah, okay. I've got a REST API here. Here are the endpoints that you can hit. And then you make an application that hits those endpoints. And then you can imagine I'm going to say, well, I'm going to change the API now. And there are going to be different endpoints. They're going to accept, uh, expect different parameters in different order. Although, you know, order, you don't really have that. Anyway, you get the idea. And yeah. so, it's, so I would make a new version. And I would say, okay, now you have to use this version of the API. So the API is kind of like that, but think about it at a lower level, like at the link level almost. So it's like, you know, if you compiled an app on Windows, no, you weren't a Windows guy. Like if you had like an OS 10.0 app, you could still run it on 10.4, right? Even though the operating system has moved so far or from 10.4 to 10.5, right? The developer didn't recompile the app, but you can still run it and it still runs. Because Apple has said, here is the binary interface that we're going to provide to you. You just call these things and we will, quote unquote, guarantee to some level that those will remain stable. So it's not like you have to keep rebuilding your app. Of course, people do rebuild their apps to take advantage of new features. Okay, so let me take a crack at this and see if mm -hmm. I get this. Okay, so... An ABI is essentially something that a binary already compiled application would use to call the system. Yeah. And so if you compiled an application for one version of the OS, then it would continue to work as long as the OS continued to support the same ABI. That's right. Right. Okay. And so the the, the upshot here, and when we talk about ABI in this context, is that an application written for Swift 2.2, for example, will not work when Swift 3 is in the OS. Uh, well, that's why... It would have to be recompiled. Yes, but that's why Swift is not in the OS. Swift has to be bundled with every with application. With every application, yes. yes. So that's the reason why. They said... And so that's what the ABI means, is that, okay, so once it's ABI compatible, that's when Swift gets bundled into the OS. That's right. And and then every application gets like 30K or 30 megs lighter or something, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you can imagine if they had bundled Swift 1 into the, you know, whatever version of OS 10 that was, or, you know, iOS 7 or iOS 8, then it would have been like, we have to support this for a long time. This is the way the Swift interface, like from a binary level, is going to look like for a long time. And they were not willing to make that commitment so early on. Okay. Okay. Well, that Uh, makes sense. And I can then, you know, see, like, I've, I've been reading the fallout from this announcement today. And for the, the most part, it seems to be that, hey, you know what? As long as they take the time to get it right, I don't care. <laughs> it is very much like, you know, you're, you know, you're putting a ring on it or something. You are, like, committing to this for presumably right. a long time. I was going to bring up Windows as the example. I think, win- like, you can still get, like, a Windows 16 app for a long time. I don't think anymore. But you could get, like, a Windows 2 app to run on, like, Windows XP or something. Like, they kept a lot of things running for a very long time. I think Apple's been very good about that too so they want to be sure about these things before they um you know lock it down right okay that makes sense okay so we got a more fu do we do we tim's got something so, on mac id i believe mac id right yeah so i had an interesting exchange today with mac the the developer of mac id our new friend of the show just trying to find the note here yeah so i had a, a conversation via twitter with kane cheshire today i had an issue with my mac id and uh, it turned out that it was just a uh, the d uh was my my issue but um he was really quick to respond and so i took the opportunity to sort of uh thank him for the, uh, the stuff and tell him that we talked about him on the show a couple of times which he wasn't aware of um so he asked me what episodes and i told him and he listened to them a few of them and i said you know so pay attention to the last episode because aaron men- mentioned a few things about uh his experience with um 
with Mac ID. And he did say that, that, uh, he did kind of agree with me that Bluetooth may be the suspect because he said Bluetooth is rock solid on iOS, but it's, it's a bag of cats on iOS, on OS 10. Hmm. Um, my, my expression, not his. Oh, I've never heard that expression. I was going to say, where's it from, <laughs> but it's you. So that explains I think it. He's, I think he's from over there, over the pond. Um, but it was a really interesting talk. He's an independent developer like the rest of us, or like the rest of our fans, so um, he fits right into the show. Um, and he said it was. He said that in his comments to me about uh, the software that look at the reviews for Knock or the other programs that are like his, the same sort of issues, it, it seems to be hit and miss for people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, some people have really good experiences, but some don't. I mean, like today, um, to be honest with you... Um, don't lie to us, Tim. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't sort of coming up all the time. It was a little late sometimes, but then that could be like latency with Bluetooth. And I'm in a, a network where there's a lot of everybody's on Wi-Fi, so there's tons of bandwidth being eaten up. So who knows what uh, what the issues may be, right? So yeah, I find at home it's 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 pretty consistent, but at the office it's yeah, hmm. you know, yeah. Knock was the first one of these things that I think we found and tried, and uh, yeah, I, I abandoned that one as well. Oh, knock. Yeah, I've heard, knock. I've heard. I heard. I have tried knock myself, but uh, Mac ID was the first one I tried, and then the near lock was the one that Justin Stanley put me on to. And it, actually, Justin did uh, reply on Twitter about the last show as well. Did you see, see that? I don't recall. It might have been to me or to MTJC. Let me get my phone here, which is more reliable than my OS X device. This is Justin Stanley of Ask MTJC fame. Yes, we've already just we just mentioned his name. And he 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 last fellow Canadian, we should add. Is he? Oh, shocking! Well, he's so nice. It's not really shocking at all. No, no, it's just yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) He's native of of Winterpeg. Oh, Winterpeg. Mm Hmm. Okay, so I guess you're going to be a while. Let's move on. Sure. Um. Oh, the other. There's one last follow up thing. Your hot potato about women writing better code, and this is from you. yeah, no, and and because I don't know if you remember, but when I mentioned it last week, um, Jaime also uh, piped up that that he had heard this too, and I, and I recalled that when I found this link, um, when I searched for it in the Mister Google, uh, Jaime and I did actually talk about this uh, when it came out a couple of months ago, I believe. Um, but it's an interesting piece in that it says, and it's actually been this particular uh, paper that they talk about on the BBC dot com site. Um, I'm uh, not sure who did the paper. Uh, Cal Poly, North State, Northern Carolina State University did some looked up some stuff on Google, and they found that interestingly enough uh, that women are said to write more acceptable code and they get more approvals and in, in peer reviews when their gender isn't specified. So they looked at I think there was around 12 billion users of uh, GitHub and million million. Million. Billion. Okay, 12 million users of GitHub and... <laughs> there aren't even 12 billion people, Dare to you know? dream! Dare okay. to dream! All right, so 12 million, people, 12 million users on, on GitHub, and they could only identify by gender 1.4 million of those. Um, but, yeah, I guess you guys are reading the article as I'm speaking about it. Yeah, but, you know, Anywho, for the sake of our listeners, go ahead. Yeah. Especially the ones so, driving so the car. What, yeah. So what exactly for those driving in the cars, they found that seventy eight point six percent of the pull requests were made by women were accepted compared to seventy four point six percent of those by men. However, once the uh, gender was revealed that it was from a woman, it dropped down to sixty two percent approvals. Right. So um, clearly, there's some work to be done there, but it's an interesting, interesting uh, thing to back up what what I said and. 
Of course, it didn't back up my guesses about it. But what I do like in it, but at the end, it talks about the fact that uh, Ada Lovelace was, in fact, the person who invented the concept of software. Mm -hmm. And I think I pointed out in the show before that Grace Hopper was the first person to find a bug in software. In fact, it was a moth that shorted out the circuitry in, in the old vacuum tube computers. And Margaret Hamilton wrote the code that got the men to and from the moon, allegedly. Alleged? Oh, right. Well, she because wrote the w- software, but yeah, well, the alleged software that did the alleged. No, moon no, no. Well, the no, software the was written, but where the alleged to the moon is landing. alleged. Right. Yeah, right. That's right. the part. I, I believe wholeheartedly they went. They went to the moon, but but Jaime or sorry, uh, Tammy always reminds me that it's allegedly went to the moon. <laughs> I'm just not even going to touch that really? one. Yeah, that's. Yeah, we that's don't need to let Tammy's crazy <laughs> get into this conversation. Okay. Yeah. Please. All right. And poor Miss Lovelace. All she got was a. Um, Bad government-made programming language named after her. Which is? Ada? Ada. Yeah, okay. All right. I think it was one of the only programming languages made by committee or something like that is the not-so-nice thing that people say about it. Wow. Just about the (laughs) numb... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, but it wasn't Ada Lovelace in some relationship or related to Charles Babbage in some way back in the day? I believe they were. He yeah. designed the computer and she wrote the software for it. I don't know right, what the relationship was, but I think they, they knew each other. Yeah, I seem to remember. Was it a William Gibson novel that co- that, <laughs> that kind of uh, Mark might have read it? Um, is it a William Gibson or um, yeah, it was a co. It was co-written by William Gibson and uh, Bruce Sterling. If if it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, hmm. the Difference Engine, the Difference Engine, right, right. Because Charles, is, what Charles Babbage designed was a thing called the the Difference a Difference Engine, which was yeah. a mechanical computer. Right, never got built. Uh, well, actually, it did. never got built in this lifetime. Is what right, you're, right, right. It did. Yeah. Someone built one not too long ago. They do have one mm-hmm. here in the uh, computer history museum. I saw them crank it up once. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was going to cool. comment on the numbers. Seventy-eight point six and seventy-four point six doesn't seem like I don't know what the confidence interval statistically significant that yeah. number differences. That doesn't seem significant to me. That women have a higher acceptance rate. That part of it is I don't quite believe. But the part I do believe, the significant part for me, is that once people know that this pull request is coming from a woman, it drops mm. by what oh. S- 16, 16 points. That That's is totally the significant believable. part of the article for me. Not the more sensational maybe headline that women write better code i don't quite believe that part of it but the the very obvious gender bias in um you know women coders and accept accepting them and their work is more the um the sad part of the article for me yeah that's true but hardly surprising yeah yeah i don't you know i don't see this article as um causative for the argument that women are better coders no, I mean, well, this is oh, this well. article. If you if you Google like women write better code, you'll see that a lot of people cover the study from different angles. This happens to be just one that that I found and posted in the in the show notes from last week. So, all right, fine. That's why it's uh, F you, Aaron. Well, okay, you know, F you. I you know, we'll I'll just bring up a random article to deal with something that we talked about last week, and we can call that F you too. That's all I have to say. You know, it's I don't have a problem with the. I just want to be clear here i don't have a problem with the concept of women being better coders Mm -hmm. but um you know you need to marshal your resources and somehow generalize against a whole gender which which is fraught to say the least and i believe that's the word i used last week because i just listened to the show fraught uh Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. very difficult uh thing to even discuss Um, that's true and i i don't i don't even think that uh, it could be possibly valuable to explore because it just it, it defies 
uh, evidence, Shoot. any kind of evidence that you might however, bring to bear. However, all I wanted to say was I brought this up because I mentioned last week on the show that I had heard it somewhere, and this is apparently where I heard it because it was about a month or so ago. February, actually. All right. And there are very many articles written around that same time, and if you go through each one of them, they all point to the same study, so... But then it gets common and common in, in newspaper reporting. They kind of somebody puts something up on Reuters, and the rest of them all just glom onto it and write their own version of it. Reuters. I think it's Reuters, Tim. Yeah. Reuters, Reuters, whatever. <laughs> Do we have any actual topics for this evening? Uh, I'm kind well, of. Jaime I keep had looking a whole pile of them. Jaime has picks of the week because it's Jaime. <laughs> uh, that guy with his picks. He's all picks all I the know. time. He's the Jaime pick machine. We're going to have a pick extravaganza. Oh, I like that. So let's talk about app review times being really low. Mm-hmm. Okay, we could do that. Now that's actually a few because I mentioned it a couple of months ago. <laughs> no, Tim, and, Tim, everything is a few. So, so <laughs> no, actually, seriously. that's true. Tim, you did bring it up, and, and we all kind down. of poo pooed it because it was it, it didn't seem real. But but I can say from my experience, just in the last few weeks, it's real. Yeah, uh, I've been having uh, reviews go through in in a day. For in one case, a brand new app. You know, I've, I've often said, and it, it always used to be true that if you have apps that are high runners, they tend to go through much faster than than low, you know, low volume apps. But this is a brand new app from an account that didn't have any high running uh, apps in the account, mm. uh, and it went through from first submission to approval in, I think it was thirty hours, something like that. Wow. I've yeah, heard it's, it's even amazing. faster than um, test flight beta approvals was the funny yeah. comment well, that I heard. It's actually true. It's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen exactly that as well. So uh, I, I actually had, it just happened, so happened that I that I had uh, four or five different submissions in the past couple of weeks, and they all went through just really, really fast. And that was what you just said is exactly true, Greg, that, that test flight approvals would take longer than the actual approvals it was it was crazy <laughs> never seen that before it's the new normal it's the phil schiller app store well i hope it is Welcome i hope this it. is uh i hope this is boding well for some of the things we're going to see at wwd well none of us are going to see it in person but uh, in person. that we'll hear about from wwdc next month absolutely that hmm. they're interesting that they've got a lot of good stuff planned hopefully so jaime's not here to defend his posting of gboard but have you guys looked at the gboard at all <laughs> Only I know you have I've heard a lot about it, it, but I have not used it myself. Mark, have you tried it? You're joking, mm, right? Yeah, obviously. Okay, never mind. <laughs> well, it's just that it's not available in Canada. We can't even look at it. Oh, so I see. Never mind. Oh. Never mind. Use it. <laughs> I see. We can look at it. We can't touch it. And and uh, some screenshots I saw. They they haven't written a version that that takes advantage of iPad Pro type uh, keyboards. Like a, you know how the iPad Pro has a full sort of almost uh, keyboard like on the wireless keyboard. Um, Bluetooth keyboards get proper size keys, you know, like proper size shift and all that kind of stuff. And the all it is is just a blown up uh, iPhone keyboard, right? So they say they're working on it, though. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, insofar as you even want to use this keyboard. But it it does sound interesting, don't you think, to be able to search right from the keyboard? Does it? Okay, Uh, win me over, Tim, because I'm not getting it. No, no, I'm totally not getting it. You're in or whatever. Does it let you search within the page that you're on or something, or is it just search the web? Yeah, well, apparently, apparently, there's like a search, like it's a keyboard you can use as a regular keyboard. But there's a search bar at the top of the. At the you know where where you would certainly see the the, the suggest words that come up, yes, um, and you can type in a, a thing and you, there's like a little uh, G button there. I'm just based on what I've seen in the video. You hit the G button and it actually goes up to Google and searches the web. Uh, assume it's Google. It searches searches the web. Obviously, yeah. it searches Google. But um, my question was, does it search the content of the page? Like if you did this from like a browser, oh. 
No, no, no. no. I, th- I think I, th- I think you might have to select a text or something like that. Gotcha. I'm not sure. All What's right, it? all right, all right. So it doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, okay, so yeah, I don't get that. Like, why? I don't. I just don't get it. So is it like basically like a, a little web view in your keyboard area when you do a search? And then you can somehow copy and paste. Oh, that that's an interesting thing. I don't know. There There is a video there if you want to take two seconds and look at it. I, I, I'm selling it now. Hold on, hold on. Okay, yeah, thank you. Jeez. I was just pulling it up on the store, too. Look at you. You guys are so hard you done by. You guys. You're so... It, look, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It, does, it seems to pull up like a little uh, link or whatever if, uh, if you want to find a restaurant or something like Starbucks near me. I'm just looking at basically on the screenshots. The other thing it's got is also the swipe to spell uh, stuff. So instead of lifting your meatball finger, you can swipe shop. over keywords. Who would suggest meatball shop for dinner? That's crazy. Meatball shop? Where are you seeing that? I'm watching the video. I'm oh. watching the video. It says, got grab dinner? Sure. Meatball shop? Okay. And then uh, you do a search for the meatball shop, and you just copy and paste the address. Right. Well, in the examples that they're showing, it looks like they're in the messaging app, right? And they're using the, yes. the search there. So I don't know necessarily what it does in other apps, per se. Right. So we'll 3,800 reviews, and it looks like an average yeah. of like 4 point something, 4.5 yeah, or something. It's got very, very yeah. good reviews. I'm trying to find, just while this is installing, with my horrible Wi-Fi. It reviews in Canada, though. No, no kidding. Oh, it's I'm got just like trying a to find a bad keyboard review. too. Okay, so. Yeah, and it's not like because uh, I know Gboard is a. There's a couple of I, when I searched Gboard on the Canadian store, a bunch of other things came up like emojis Ooh, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it does. But. It does emojis and like animated gifs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's right. Oh, in the, yeah. They're, they're going with their keyword spam here. Search gifs, emojis, and more. Right from dot dot dot. How do I look at the full title? Is there a way to do that? There's a the show store? more. Well, oh, the title. So when yeah. you when you type allow full access, I don't know if this is. Something that Apple is showing, or it must be because it, I'm actually it's, in no. uh, settings. It's a scary but Apple dialogue. It, it's a very scary Apple yeah. dialogue, yeah. <laughs> Full access allows the developer of this keyboard to transmit anything you type, including things you have previously typed with this keyboard. This this could include sensitive information such as your credit card number or street address. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I remember Marin talking about that when he talked about the keyboard uh, that he made, which is just an, uh, a graphic keyboard, doesn't doesn't do any typing, right? And and he just thought that was a for him that was a real downer on his sales, like he felt. That, I that really hope that they fix the way that these things get installed. It's kind of like when content blockers were the thing last year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was like every content blocker, the first screen had to be. Close the app, go to the settings, open this, open this, flip yeah. the switch, say yes, say allow all, and then come back. It was like, what a pain. Keyboards, same thing. Not so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you lose the dictation capability, right? Because it's not built into the Google keyboard. Oh, that's a good point. I guess they would, there's no way they kind of enable that, is there? But the, the, key, the dictation piece obviously goes to Apple to be translated, right? Yeah, but yeah, so. you, know, you don't even have the capability to do voice dictation if you don't have that Apple keyboard up. Right, right. So if you're using the Gboard, then you don't you don't get to dictate, which you know is is actually something I use quite often. Does Google still have that um, search? Uh, they used to have a thing called Google Goggles. You remember that? Google Glass. Mm-hmm. No. no, Google Goggles. It was it was an app that was on the apps on the iPhone early days, and you could take a picture of something, and it would go out onto the web and search for that thing. Like if you took a picture of a MacBook, it would take you to uh, maybe Apple site or you know some sort of inf- information pages. Like you could actually look for products. You could you could scan product codes and stuff like that, and it would just go out and just magically find stuff. Magic. 
it was kind of cool. Okay. Well, I do like the emoji search. That's definitely one thing missing from Apple Keyboard, and I'm used to from like Slack or even the OS X emoji keyboard, where you can open it up and you can start typing like smile or sailboats or whatever, and then it'll suggest some emoji. So this Google Keyboard does that, where they have a dedicated, like there's the globe icon to switch your keyboard, and there's a dedicated emoji button, and then you can start typing if you want to. Or I think you have to tap and then start typing, but then it'll suggest things to you. So I like that. So do you have it installed now, Greg? I do have it installed, yes. Uh, can you are you trying it in any any particular apps or I've just got the notes app open. Um, right. so yeah, you hit the G button and then yeah, it's like a search bar opens up. The keyboard gets very very tall. Like, you know, the, sorry, the keyboard stays the same, but the stuff above the keyboard gets much taller to mm-hmm. maybe like two-thirds of the screen. And then as I type something like MTJC, yeah, it does like the you know, you type into a Google search box and it has some suggestions. So it's got three suggestions above my what I just typed. And if I click on one or tap on one, what will it do? Oh, it is like an inline, like instead of the keyboard, it's like a browser. Imagine that. Right. It's showing it's all like the search results. View. And then I tap one. And it has and a it, text representation that it puts into the editing. That is area. weird. I'm like, how do I? Oh, okay, there's a little square with an arrow and if i tap that i guess yes it opens the browser and then does the site i can see it being useful if you're uh, maybe not on the i'm I'm imagining tim working on his ipad pro uh senior Uh and he's got the you know the google keyboard he's typing away and it's like oh what was the name of that thing you type the g button you do a quick search uh there it is and you tap it and you either paste in the link for like future reference, like if you're, you know, I want to come back to this, or you can just tap the other button and get the link. So I'm actually, I'm not sold, but I think it's actually pretty handy. I can oh, see actually, the, I can see the use. Like, do you see anything in there that would lead you to believe that there's any reason at all to not launch it worldwide? Um, no. Like, why? Why is it U.S. only when all of Google's apps, from, as far as I know? Yeah. Well, I could imagine the search. Like, if you're in the U.K. or that's not that. Uh, if you're in France, then they want the little Google search thing to search like you know Google.fr instead. And there might be some localization issues. I don't know. A lot of times, you know, Canada and the U.S. are so close that you could launch in Canada as well because there's no. Oh, there is a Google Canada. That's a bad example too. But I, I think it may be a name dispute. To be honest with you, like I said, there there are some apps on the app store called gboard in canada i think it's just not, not from well, we want to test Google. it out we're just going to roll it out to the united states only soft launch in the u.s give me a ver- that's what it is <laughs> before they go to china is no that they're like is? we don't want to translate it and try it out with google france oh, so we right. just want to be english only so we're just going to do u.s only so i think that's what it is but no i don't see anything that's like there's no american flags all over the place or anything like that so um, yeah but surely it supports spanish <laughs> it is the official language here um yeah, no, it's pretty. I can I can see the appeal. Doing a quick search, I can definitely see myself getting used to it. And if I were on a phone that mm. didn't have it, and I'd be like, I want to do a quick search or look something up very quickly, um, it's definitely handy. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm I'm just using it for whatever, a couple minutes. But um, yeah, maybe I'll keep it around. Well, the best part of that particular question is I just realized looking at this that that Jaime did record his picks of the week, and and we just spoiled one of them for him. <sighs> Serves him right Good. for not being here. Damn that right. Google fan it. at Google I.O. figures he would take I know. it. He can spend all next week telling us about Google I.O. So. <laughs> For sure. Well, so do we have any... I, I, I guess nobody's been following what's happening at Google I.O. today either, right? Well, so. I've you know, followed it. I, I got some... Any, any tidbits you think that, we, that may be interesting to look up later on for people? Mm. What, have was... what have you heard? What have you heard? Tell us. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> there was, um, you know, a lot of stuff announced there. I mean, a lot of stuff. I mean, they've got a new, like, they, they seem to have an answer now for everything that their competitors are doing. Mm-hmm. Basically, so um, you know Amazon's Echo, which is again another U.S. only product, uh, now has a competitor from Google. It's Google oh, giant piece of chalk. I don't know what they called it. I can't remember. Um, it's this. It's a. a it's a voice thing. activated home appliance, and apparently it's very oh, good. Right. Yes. So uh, you just talk to it, and it gives you answers. And uh, a lot of people I've been hearing a lot of great things about the Amazon product, and yeah. it seems that Google is. Uh, it appears to be quite competitive with it in terms of the capabilities for this voice-activated assistant that can just sit around in your house and answer your requests. Um, it does seem I, like a more of a Google thing yeah. than an, an Amazon thing, doesn't it? A thing that knows a lot of stuff that you can talk to? That feels way yeah. more Google to me, right? It's very Googly, and they, you know, but Amazon's been out with its Alexa thing for a couple of years now, right? So, and, and they've really been iterating hard on it now. They have an, an API even, so developers mm-hmm. have been able to add capabilities to this thing. Even Google Google's thing does not have an API yet, so it, it's only with uh, the, the features that Google includes with it, right? So uh, there's going to be a long way to go for them, and you know, <laughs> by um, by comparison, of course, Apple is looking really behind with Siri, like really behind. Um, so I don't know what uh, answer, if any, Apple is going to have. Like if they come out at Dub Dub. And they're like, oh yeah, and Siri in 2016, we've we've added more movie information, and now you can it's ask her about TV it, shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that will not cut it. But that's almost certainly what they're going to do because uh, they don't seem to have their good handle on that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, does it look like a, does it look like a sort of home kit kind of thing? I mean, I saw some tweets earlier about the fact that it, it's not compatible with their own Nest product, you- right? Google seems like a siloed, siloed kind of company, so it wouldn't surprise me that the Nest people weren't talking to the Google Home people to get the integration in there. But I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but um, you were just asking if that yes, were the was, case. Yeah. But I'm yeah. just saying I wouldn't be surprised if that were. Yeah, this whole thing, like these, these voice assistants, and we saw another one, uh, the makers of Siri, who you know sold, the, sold Siri to Apple and then left the company and started their own new voice-activated assistant called Viv, hmm. or Vive, I'm not sure how they're pronouncing it. Uh, they were demonstrating this you know, next-generation uh, voice-activated assistant. And you know, i got to tell you, I'm really not feeling the love for this whole movement of technology. They... Uh, it, it appears to be like this sort of um, Siri plus plus, you know, uh, in the sense that, you know, Siri kind of seemed impressive when it was first introduced like four years ago, right? Um, but you can very clearly see how it works, right? Like, it's basically, from everything that I can tell you about Siri that I've seen, it's it's like a giant list of canned responses to any kind of question. So there's some parsing going on to determine what the intent is and it makes its best guess at what that is based on the information it has the things that it knows how to answer it, to me like I, I i'm looking at you know if i were implementing siri you know and i i took care of all the gnarly details of you know recognizing what words are being spoken and and parsing the natural language um and turning that into something at the end of the day what you've got is just a giant huge list of possible responses 
And so you ask Siri, like, you know, weather today. Tell me the weather today. And she's like, okay, I heard weather. I heard today. I get that. I can tell you, you know, where you are, and I'm going to give you a weather report. And it spits out this pre-generated weather report. Um, But if you go off the reservation at all, uh, she misinterprets or doesn't understand a thing you're saying, right? Mm. So, in a way, Siri, to me, feels like a very, um, very simple, canned machine that translates words into into responses, whether they're correct or not. And it feels like Viv, which I saw a little bit of, and what I'm seeing of, of Google's uh, effort as well, is, is that but a little better, right? It's still the sense of, I give you something to chew on, you compare it to the giant list of things that you can handle, and then you send back a response. And there's some contextual awareness built into that. So one of the things that's kind of upsetting me about this is how siloed it is and based on sort of commercial partnerships that they're making. So Google, one of Google's examples I saw today was they have a relationship with OpenTable, which is the, um, the restaurant reservation service, right? So you say, you know, I feel like Thai tonight. Okay, well, uh, we have, you know, three Thai restaurants near you. Uh, would you like to go to one of these? And it sort of works that way. But if you don't want to deal with, say, whatever OpenTable has, you know, it's only that limited universe, right? Uh, another example, I feel like pizza. Well, you know, Viv has a relationship with, say, Domino's Pizza, and I think ATP kind of went off on this uh, <laughs> a week ago, um, which I don't even want to get into. But the the point there is that um, when you say things like that, you are finding yourself uh, trapped in this cage of the commercial relationships that the vendor of the speech synthesis software of all people um, has has provided for you. Um, so this, to me, is still not true artificial intelligence. They're making it look like it's artificial intelligence, but it's not artificial intelligence. Right. right. We are a long way from that. And so, um, in a way, I could kind of be okay with Apple sort of taking a step back and saying, you know what, I think we may have overplayed our hand here. And I think people get that, you know, there, there are things that Siri can do well that are handy and useful. Um, but if we go any further, we're going to get into this uncanny valley where people think that it's more capable than it is and become very disenchanted. And I wonder if Google and Amazon are heading there, despite what I'm hearing from the nerds who think Alexa is awesome. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be broadly applicable for the consumer market. I'm done. Go. Okay. <laughs> it's always hard to tell with Apple what they're doing behind the scenes, but I do feel like they got Siri, they worked on it a bit, and then it just kind of fell by the wayside as maybe it's well, I, I think like they lost their it's like, people. It's like some, uh, you know, some intern works on it every six months or something like that. <laughs> like it just hasn't, hasn't been worked on, or I think they are working on it in the background, but not making any big improvements to it. So it just hasn't been keeping up, as you said, Aaron, for this many years, it's still setting alarms for people and whatnot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's setting alarms. It's getting the weather. It's uh, setting timers, um, yeah. you know, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not giving you, you know, contextual information based on, you know, past events. It doesn't, it's not intelligent. It doesn't predict um, and if you go outside of its comfort zone, it has no freaking clue what to do. Yeah, I do feel like Amazon and Google have a better opportunity to do, to do better with it, just because they have more information. 
like Google. Oh, we could search the whole web. Amazon, it's like, you know, I don't know. You've got your whole, every item that you've bought in the last, whatever, five years that's on your account. And we have this giant database of products and movies and television shows and all that stuff. And I feel like they're either able or more willing to kind of leverage all that information that they have about you to make it a better product. Whereas Apple, it almost seems a little backwards. Apple is usually the, you know, we're going to be smart about it and go through this amount of information and we're going to have a good guess of what you said. Whereas the Google approach is more like brute force, right? We're just going to search every single thing. We're going to drive on every road to get a picture of all the streets, right? And you'd think the Google approach would be like that. But um, I don't know. (laughs) It seems like Google and Amazon, I think, have a better shot at this just because of that, of the information. And Apple is seemingly going to stick to, uh, like I said, setting alarms and sending text messages and maybe getting the dictation piece um, yeah, better. Until like they, some they keep adding different accents and things like that. But builds. I wonder how much use... Well, yeah. I mean, I still don't have Siri turned on, so I don't use it. And I don't, I'm not really interested at all in Echo or any of this home-based talky stuff. Like you said, Aaron, I, I hear so many people raving about it and people really seem to like it that... I guess there's something there, but I don't know. It's hard to sit talk about because it's not really for me. I don't think. Yeah, I get the I get the impression that Jaime has an Alexa, so we'll have to hear what he has to say about it next week. I guess. Hmm. Alexa, Alexa, tell me what Jaime thinks about you. <laughs> I hope Jaime's listening and he plays that back, and it'll be Hey Siri with Fuad all over again. Yeah. Hey Hey Siri, tell, turn Jaime's radio up. Yep. I think the only other thing I heard, I heard some funny tweet about, uh, you know, oh, or Google just announced FaceTime and Messenger and uh, Echo and yeah. whatever else. And that and was auto it. layout, right? And uh, they have some kind of a, well, they already had a voice or a video chat kind of thing, but some kind of a FaceTime thing. And Oh, and the chat bot, kind of like, um, I don't know, Facebook M or something like that. So that seems to be what That's they've right. announced. I don't think there's anything like a paperclip. new, new. I hope it's a puppy, not a paperclip, but I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> it looks like just nothing. It's probably the letter G hey, talking to you. Speaking of puppies, <laughs> did you hear the debate the other day about the puppy? I don't think it was a debate. It was more um, how prominent is the puppy, which I, I, do, I don't know. I kind of agree with Aaron. I think it is a very um, behind-the-scenes thing. Not behind the scenes. It's a, it's a super fan of the show kind of a thing, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I like the idea of there being bigger fans of the show than the hosts. Okay. <laughs> you know, like someone would have to be into the show more than I am. Well, I can tell you, like I said, at, at RW DevCon, I ran into a guy who had to be at least 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so, so what? there you go. <laughs> a bigger fan than the hosts. But, that uh, is awful. Oh my god, cut that from the show, please. <laughs> no, please keep that. Please keep that. It's terrible. If there are any fans of the show who are quietly lurking... Who are still as, here. Who are quietly <laughs> lurking and are really, really enjoy the show, but aren't the kinds to send a tweet or an email or something like that, I would say, please do. Make or wear your, your t-shirt, soon. and then I will come find you and ask you for a selfie. Yeah. Where are you talking about a dub-dub now? Or anywhere, just around town. Oh, in, I'll be in at the grocery store. I don't know. Yeah, gotcha. Everybody's yeah, in tech I, here. I am unlikely to run into any of our listeners, although it did. Happen. You, you, you ran, ran into a listener, so don't say several that. Several times. Yeah. Yeah. He ran into me, not several times, just once, at, in Whitby. You know. I mean, what are the chances of that? If that can happen, anything can happen. Yeah. Well, well like I said, we ran into a ton, tons of people that are at uh, NS North. Tons. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Several. Se- more. Like more than I could count on one hand. Listen well, to the show. Okay. So you're wrong. It's not just three people. It's more than five. Fantastic. All right. Let's do picks. 
Sure. I was going to say, let's do picks. So, um, well, we, I know Jaime's got some pre-recorded picks, so I'll play them now. Jaime, we have any picks? Hello there, everyone. And I have two, count them, two picks of the week. The first pick of the week is Gboard, the third-party keyboard from Google, but for your iPhone. Why is it so exciting? Well, I mean, sort of the basic thing that it does is, first of all, it provides what they call glide typing. Basically, it works like swipe. You just swipe from one letter to the next, and it picks the word that you have chosen. But that's not really why it's exciting. The more exciting bit is really around the integrated Google search right into the keyboard. So think about how you normally do things. You normally say, oh, um, I want to chat with somebody. I want to send them a link to this particular restaurant, or maybe I want to send them the address. What did you end up doing? You went into Safari, or you went into the Google search app. You found the address. You did the long press. You copied. Then you went back to the app that you were in before, and then you pasted, and then everything is terrible and horrible. There's a better experience here. All you have to do with Gboard is start typing in the address that you want right into that little Google search box. It will find the information, show you a nice little card. You can tap the little share bit on the card to say, oh, yes, share that content, and also give them a nice little photo of that. It's fantastic. And the other bit that's kind of nice is the fact that it has the ability to search animated GIFs. Yes, I took a stand on that one. And uh, let's give you an example. So today, I had a friend butt dial me. They sent me a FaceTime request. Clearly, they accidentally did that. Um, what did I do? Because I'm a smarmy guy. Well, I decided to search, find a butt dial GIF, and sent it to them. Right? Just because I'm kind of a smart person. You can choose cat GIFs and doge GIFs and all sorts of other things. Go have at it. Also, the other bit that's really nice is it does have emoji support. So unlike Apple's, you know, integrated emoji keyboard where you kind of just tap on the categories and you kind of scroll after page after page after page looking for, you know, your country's flag or some sort of hamburger one or the unicorn, even the poop emoji, kind of a hassle, right? So in this case, you can just start searching for that. You start searching for hamburger emoji and it will find it and you can just tap it and use it. And life is way better and more wonderful and way more like, like the way people talk nowadays on the internet. couple caveats. One is if you are using an iPad or an iPad Pro, this keyboard is not yet optimized for your experience. And from what I've seen on the net, it looks fairly awful and terrible. It's rather unfortunate. Apparently, Google's engineers and product managers are aware of this fact, and maybe if we're all nice, maybe they'll, you know, actually update it for that. The other bit is the fact that it is apparently not optimized for 3D touch. So if you have a device that has 3D touch, apparently you can use the keyboard to, you know, force touch onto the space bar, and then you can go and change the cursor this doesn't do that, but I kind of see no real reason why it couldn't, so hopefully that will come in a future update. So that's my first pick of the week. The second pick of the week is find a photo. And what is this? It's it's a website. And if you're the kind of person who needs photos for your blog, you need photos for the, you know, the background of your slide for a technical talk that you're going to give, give this a try. It provides you a nice search interface for um, Creative Commons Zero, that would be the public domain, go read the license, I am not a lawyer, bits of 
images and there's various sources like Unsplash, for example, it gives you not only the search box that says, oh, you know, I'm searching for hammer or I'm searching for flowers, but it also gives you different bits of categories like animals and technology. And one that I really liked is the ability to search by color. So you can search by hex value and say, hey, look, this one purple color is kind of the theme that I have going on for my presentation. And guess what? I can find all sorts of photos that have that particular tint to them. It's great. It's useful. It's handy. Love it. Go give it a try. Those are my picks of the week. Okay. How's it are you going? That's, that is, is that a thing? Yeah, apparently he recorded some picks this morning because I guess he felt guilty about like giving, pulling out late late in the show. That's that's just weird. But we talked. I don't about think that's allowed. Picks. I know. I, I know. That's, that's allowed, what's funny about it. I'm going to listen hmm? to the final cut of this episode and see what Tim does with it. I think I was supposed to listen to the to picks before we recorded, but I didn't. I just remembered now when I saw his POW here. So he's oh the, he's going to talk about find a photo, of course, as well. Okay. All right. So, um, Aaron, do you have a pick? I do not. Which is just as well, since Jaime's got all the picks. That's true. Well, and even okay. Mark has a pick here. I have a pick. Does this is actually, I'm going to be reading this book uh, starting tonight, Mark. Mm, yeah, good. So, yeah, I, I kind of swore we talked about this before, but anyway, Mark, do you yeah, have a pick? Yeah, we did mention it. Oh, did we talk about this book already? No, you mentioned it, Mark. That's all. Go ahead and give us your full report. Okay. So give the us book, a full book report, yeah. Yeah, the book is called uh, Disrupted, My Misadventure in the Startup Bubble. It's by a guy named Dan Lyons, who... Uh, is a journalist who's been around for a long time, and uh, it was a, was the technology editor at Newsweek at one time, and probably best known uh, to people who might listen to the show as as the guy who wrote the fake Steve Jobs. Oh, uh, really? Articles okay. years ago. Yeah, right, classic. Right. So classic. yeah, so he was a guy who anonymously you know, wrote these blog posts and then eventually a book, pretending he was fake Steve Jobs, and it was it was it was just uh, kind of making fun of the whole Silicon Valley culture and and. And, and all that. So he found himself apparently a couple of years back uh, out of a job. Uh, Newsweek, which was you know a big magazine, uh, shut down or got bought, I think, by Huffington Post or someone. Someone, uh, and they pretty, they closed down the print edition. So he was just out of a job and decided to go work in the tech industry. So he he uh, started to work at a at a company in on, in the East Coast in Boston called HubSpot. Oh yes, and, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, it's it's a pretty interesting story of of all the things that that he observed and stuff that happened to him there. Uh, he's now he's playing up, I think, the the humor value and 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 the funniness and craziness of it. Uh, but it, it actually paints kind of a, a a bad picture of of what it's like to work at that particular company, if not. You know, all startups. I don't think it is all startups, but it's you know, that that particular company. But uh, <laughs> points out startups. a lot of the. That the crazy things that millennials are 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 known for doing, uh, and and what it's like to be an older person. I think he was in his early fifties, uh, working at, in a company with a bunch of twenty five year olds. So it's it's pretty interesting. Now, what he's actually most known for now is he's one of the co writers of the show Silicon Valley on HBO. Oh, so really cool. If you're a fan of that show, yeah. and and you love the the stuff that's going on in that show. Then you'll probably love this book because it's the same kind of humor. Uh, it's and it's 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 kind of even though it's it's based on a true story, it's still making fun of the whole quote Silicon Valley and and really the whole tech world uh, way of the way of looking at the world and way of doing things. God, I love that. So show. it's a it's a short book. It's a quick read. It's a fun read. Uh, I think it's it's a little bit controversial. Uh, some people think he might have just been. 
in there as sort of a you know doing it on purpose, coming in as a spy just to stir up dirt and come up with a with a with a funny book. Uh, but <laughs> regardless of that, it, it, it's a funny book. So so <laughs> so I, I highly recommend it. It's a good read. The Kindle edition is fifty cents more than the hardcover. I hate that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. <laughs> Drive you insane. Uh, and what is it, Greg? How much is it? Uh, thirteen ninety nine for the Kindle, thirteen fifty for the hardcover. All right, because I was just it's about to buy that for tonight. Fifty dollars Canadian, I guess. And the I audio, the audio, oh, it's audio CD. It says it's twenty four dollars if you want spinning discs. Um, that show Silicon Valley is just amazing. Yeah, um, it really is. Yes, it, I love how. No spoilers. I'm still. Uh, I'm still. Uh, no, I just wanted to say. Okay, it's I'm, in the middle of, it, I'm in the middle of season two as myself as okay. well. Okay, I just wanted to say it feels like a very authentic show. You know, it is like the it, this it. the the scenarios are are a little too crazy. You know, like no <laughs> no single startup is going to experience everything that these guys do, but um, individually uh, they feel like real things that happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's a comedy show, right? And they oh, play sure. up the the funny things and, and they exaggerate things. But but I can honestly say, having having worked around here for a bunch of years and worked at a bunch of different companies of all different sizes, that there was nothing. There's nothing I've seen in that show that didn't remind me of something real that happened at some totally. point in my career. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. it's a great show. Compromise is the shared hypotenuse of the conjoined triangles of success. Right. There you go. I have no idea what that means. Wow. Yeah, and you can, you can, you can cut all that out. Still not get it. Yeah, I think there's yeah. geometry in that quote. There was. Yes. Math. And okay. math. Um, all right. So, <laughs> good good book. I'm really, what that's it. making fun of is is um, management theories. And people who come up with these, you know, models of management that are just these, you know, it's a it's a graph and a plot. And, and anything and, and everything can be related to that plot or that graph. And so they, they kind of make fun of that a little bit in the show. Season three. Cool. So um, I see that Aaron, or Greg is trying to fly under the radar and, and avoid Aaron's scrutiny, but because he started with a zero-based oh, series of picks. That's what we do in software. So, I have one so, point. Well, you had a pick and a half. I've got 1.6 picks. How about that? The golden ratio. That's what I have. Oh, cool. Awesome. Um, first, pick is, <laughs> first pick is pretty short. I got a MacBook 12-inch. And I was half lamenting how when you plug it in, it makes the iOS charging noise. You know, when you plug in an iOS device, it makes that little pinging noise. Anyway, the MacBook does that. And I was like, whoa, that's weird because it's like worlds colliding. And so some friendly people on Twitter, I'm sorry, I don't have their names, tweeted at me to say, there's, of course, a uh, default write command line thing you can do to disable that. But that also means that you can enable it on your MacBook Pro or, I don't know, maybe even on like a... I was going to say like a Mac Pro, but no, it has to be plugged in. So if you like that sound or you hate that sound that it makes, then you can enable or disable it on your own Mac. So the the you, so if you disable it, you still you still can't get the classic uh, Mac. I think it's a G chord or what is no it no no. This is when you plug no, it no, in no, to no, charge. No. You know you have your iPhone oh, okay, and it's already okay. on. You plug in, it makes that bing kind of oh, noise. Oh right, okay. Yes, the yeah, MacBook yeah. does that when you plug it in. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's just weird. So you can disable it, or again, on your MacBook Pro, if you like, you can enable that. So when you plug in the charger, it will make that sound. Um, Interesting. So yes, so that's what the first pick is for the sound lovers or the sound haters. My second pick is an app. Uh, a few months ago now, I was um, teaching at one of those iOS boot camps. 
mm-hmm. in Toronto. And one of the students there wrote an app all in Swift, if I can say that. He kind of took the leap and learned Swift, even though a lot of the, the, um, the boot camp was Objective-C. And by the end of it, he came up with this app called Palette. And so that's my app pick. And um, I think there's some similar apps like this on the store, but you either browse through like a Flickr feed of, you know, cool photos. Uh, I think interesting photos, Flickr has a feed for that. Or you browse through your own um, camera library, you take a photo, whatever. And then as you kind of drag your finger around the image, you can kind of pick colors out of it and it makes a little palette of colors at the bottom and yeah, then you so save it's it the cooler cooler ratio of colors yeah yeah something like that to do with your photo and then you can share it and then of course for the designers and the developers out there you can also i think some way um to copy and paste and it'll sort of paste in the hex values so it'll say color one color two color three and it'll give you the rgb values if you want to paste that into a document or an email or something like that so it's a really cool app very well designed the guy is actually a comes from a design background. So I think he did the icon and all the design himself and the coding. So um, it's pretty cool. Check it out. It's called Palette. And I've also got a link to the, um, there's an Instagram account for the app just because he's posted some sample photos and kind of what these palettes look like. So, And his name is? Uh, Alex is his name. You can check it out on Alex his... Alex Mathers. Uh, yes. Alex Mathers. And what was the name of the school? Uh, Lighthouse Labs is the name there of the school. Go. Give them a... Okay. Small shout out there. So yeah, that's sure. my pick. So my pick is something we've talked about on the show a number of times, and uh, I, I'm mentioning it today because there's, a bit, or there's been a transition, I guess, about a week or two ago. But uh, I'm going to say friend of the show, um, Matthias Holman um, from Holland. We've mentioned him on the show before. Uh, and actually, this started out as a conversation we had on our Slack group um, where we were talking about algorithms, and there was a lot of... Uh, discussion about you know various types of algorithms and stuff like that and, and Matthias did a talk I think last year's RWVCon called Math is Hard is that the one I'm thinking of Greg Math isn't scary Math isn't scary yeah so essentially that you know he studied math when he was in school and he kind of you know went out into the working world and forgot all about it and then when he had to come back to it for work or for his passion or whatever he found that he'd sort of lost some of it and, I, and I'll find the name of the book and put it in the show notes but he did find one book that sort of brought him back into the fold and so since we were all talking about algorithms he formed a group on the slack uh, called the, Al- uh, the swift or the algorithm club and he then took it one step further when when last year a bunch of people started publishing you know pieces on medium and and on their own blogs about uh, various types of sorting algorithms and that kind of stuff uh, matthias put together this uh, github um, spot where people can put up um uh, Swift uh, algorithms based on Swift, and the the change is that he's recently, I guess he's gotten too busy to sort of maintain it, and he's handed it over to Ray Winlick's group to uh, maintain. So, and if you look at it, if you go there, there's there's tons of uh, um, samples uh, of different kinds of uh, algorithms that you might want to use in your code, all written in Swift. Um, and there's at, in the description in the um, the markup, there's uh, instructions if you're just getting into into algorithms and you want to sort of uh, f- you know flail away at things. He gives you some sort of direction on where you can go at the beginning to look what to look at as sort of the starting points, and then where you want to go with it later on. So I'll definitely be coming back here and poking around a bit. So that's that. Cool pick. Algorithm Club. I wanted to make a site like that myself. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I actually had a couple posts written up, but I never got around to publishing it all and everything. But uh, that's too bad. I still have the domain, so someday maybe I will. 
Yeah, and so I mean, it's it's an open source project on GitHub. So you know, if you want to contribute to it, you can certainly do that as well. No, right? I want so my that, own site. I'm not contributing to anything. I'm not talking <laughs> to you. I'm talking to the listeners. I'm talking to the listeners, and apparently there are 36 people who have uh, who have helped out building it and done pull requests and stuff like that. Yeah, so. no, they've got quite the collection there. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything you want, want to know about algorithms, we're afraid to ask. So that's it. That's it. That's the show. All right, so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, wherever they look. They would go to Twitter, at Aaron Bay. All righty, and Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where do they look? Before they look up Aaron, they should go on Twitter and look me up there. I'm Greg Heo. There you go. And Mark? I'm at Mark R at smapsoft.com. Once again, as I said at the top of the show, my name is Tim Mitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's about the best way to get a hold of me. So that's it for the week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. So, yeah, so I saw Batista and some guy get into fisticuffs the other day. Can you tell me? <laughs> okay, okay. Boxing okay. match at the Jays game. No, I, 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 and, and of course, I've only been walking past CP24 without the audio on at various malls and things, so I, I wasn't really sure what the story was. It, it, was this the Kansas City Royals who they lost the pennant to last year? Wow, keep talking, Tim. Do you want to, uh, would you like me to tell you? Yeah, I am. I'm, okay. I'm, lying, so, I'm, I'm setting you up. Okay. Oh, is this, is this the show? Yeah, it's a still oh, show, correct. I guess. Okay, uh, so let's let's make it brief. Uh, so this is the Texas Rangers that we're talking about. Uh, the Jays played them in the division series in the playoffs last year. They were the first team they played. Oh, the first team, okay. Yeah, in, uh, I think it was game five? Yeah, the final game of the series. Uh, the Jays came from behind and kind of pulled it out in the end. And uh, it was one of the pivotal moments was a home run hit by Jose Bautista. It was probably one of the biggest home runs in his career, right? Because it really did win us the series. And uh, after he hit it, he did the famous bat flip, which any any fan of baseball in Toronto recognizes instantly. Uh, it was quite the flip. And it really upset a lot of Texas fans. So uh, they, the Rangers and the Jays had a series... Um, they they only play each other a certain amount of times, and through the vicissitudes of the Major League Baseball schedule, uh, the Rangers and the Jays are never going to play each other again uh, in the regular season after that last game where this like occurred. Ever. Like this season. <laughs> ever. Okay. 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 Well, <laughs> and the way it's going, it's unlikely it's, the Blue Jays are going to make the, the playoffs. So. Yeah, the way they're playing. Good Lord. Yep. So um, now leading up to the series, to this last series, uh, 
in uh, in Texas. Uh, it was said, someone said that you know we're going to plunk uh, Jose Bautista. Uh, a pitcher is going to hit him intentionally with the ball as oh, really? revenge for the bat flip. Really? Yeah. And so there was you know some consternation about that. Like, why would you do that? Because you know that was like last year. It was seven months ago. Get over yourselves. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, it's not that big a deal. But it didn't happen, okay? So it never happened. No, nobody got plunked, uh, except then on this this last game of the season series between these two teams down in Texas, mm-hmm. and this the the pitcher hit him in totally intentionally, like there was just no doubt about it. Really? Uh, it was the first pitch of the at bat, drills him at like a ninety five mile an hour fastball right in the back. Uh, it was it was so clear, and so Jose goes to first base, and then the next batter. Uh, hits a double play ball. Uh, that would have been Edwin Encarnacion. Jose runs into second base, and as it's a double play, he slides into the base, but he slides late. And this is a new rule, the Chase Utley rule in Major League Baseball, where if you are a first at first base going to second, you have to slide early uh, in order to avoid the chance of causing damage to the shortstop who is taking that potential double play ball to first base. Okay. Now, what Jose did is that he slid late, and uh, that he broke that rule, which is an automatic double play. Uh, he did it to show his displeasure about getting plunked, right? Now, the shortstop for the Texas Rangers, Rognet Ordur, turns out he's something of a hothead. And so, when that play got made, Jose dives through second base, uh, cleats down. He's not trying to hit him. He's just showing his displeasure. Ordur jumps over the, the, the slide completely uninjured, throws the ball away, right? So, like, the the throw to first that would have happened to complete the double play, he just chucked it into the sidelines. It wasn't even close. So would it um, still be a double play? It was no? still a double play because right. of that, that sliding rule. Okay. But then Jose gets up, and Odur is, like, furious. He pushes Jose and then leans right. back and does a right uppercut right on his jaw. And at that point, every player came onto the field, and there was a general <laughs> melee. And... Um, Adrian Beltre, the Rangers' third baseman, ran over to Jose and just pinned him down, like basically like grabbed him from behind and held him, while everyone else on both teams kind of had a general, you know, melee in the uh, in the outfield. Hmm. Um, and then uh, that was about it. And everybody, you know, kind of cleared up, went back to their dugouts, and continued the game. Um, Odur got an eight-game suspension uh, for for that punch. Jose got a one-game suspension for no reason that's clear at all, mm-hmm. uh, because you know he he was punished by having that automatic double play exacted against the team. Um, and yeah, that was about it. And, and the pitcher that hit Jose intentionally uh, got nothing, which was weird. But uh, that answers your question, right? It does. Yes, it makes yes. perfect sense now. I have a quick question on uh, some technicalities. How do they determine whether you slide late or early? Is there a certain point? Yeah. Yeah, the the idea is that you're supposed to end your slide in when you when your feet touch the bag. Right. So when so it's not, you're going not necessarily when you start because you could still start relatively late but still stop in time. That's as long the, as that's, yeah, that's okay. Not not theoretically likely because your moment, your momentum is going to carry. Yeah, I know how physics works. I'm just saying yeah. it's not like you have to start the slide at a certain point. It's about stopping. In practice, you really do have to start your slide much earlier than you normally would. Yes. Yes, you can see it now that the, the rule has been implemented, and actually the Jays were the first team to get punished by this rule, mm-hmm. game oh, really? one of the se- series. We actually lost that game in the bottom of the ninth, or the top of the ninth, right? Because um, we were away for that game. Uh, and that that double play out caused by sliding that rule um, ended the game. Like, we, we were going to score, 
We did score, in fact. But the umpires ruled it was two outs for sliding late. Hmm. And it's like, hmm. this is the first time this rule has ever been implemented. Hmm. Big, and it was the final surprise. two outs of the game, too. It was the final two outs of the game. It ended the game, and we would have tied it if it hadn't happened. And gone to the bottom of the ninth, and maybe to extra innings, who knows. But, uh, tough rule. <laughs> yeah, well. So, yeah, you gotta slide super early. And you can see it now, like, Major League Baseball players who are who are at first base, ground balls hit, and they're running to second for that double play ball that's, that's gonna happen. They slide super early. Like, really early. So they don't break this rule. On the other hand, you know, the Jays, they're just playing terrible. They're just so bad right now. They just got swept yeah, what by are they, the race seven, at home. Seven out of first place or something like that? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not even looking. They're just yeah. they're just playing so poorly right now. Red Sox, on the other hand, are, are playing pretty well. Yeah. you got to be no, a Raptors fan in Toronto now, not the Jays. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. I don't even want to talk about sports ball. <laughs> breaking me heart. <laughs> I think I'm done. I'm, our, our, our work here is finished. Yes? Yes, it is. You're it free is. to go. Did you, you didn't say it, though. You didn't say the oh, words. Oh, and scene. Ah, thank you. I feel like this great weight has been lifted. There you go. And it's not yet. Yeah.